Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Jennifer McNelly, the CEO of the American Society of Safety Professionals, and I'm honored today to be joined by Diana Stegall, president of ASSP. Diana, can you tell our listeners a little bit about ASSP? Certainly, and thank you for having me. So ASSP has been around for more than 100 years, and really we support occupational safety and health professionals in their efforts to prevent workplace injuries, illnesses, as well as fatalities. The fun thing is we've seen so much growth over the last five to 10 years, and we have almost 40,000 members across the globe, and we provide them with education, advocacy, standards development, and really a professional community so that we can help our members advance their careers, and we're also helping to advance the profession as a whole. That's exciting, and I will say over the past several months, the world has shifted responding to a public health crisis and now an economic crisis. And for, I would say, the first time in my professional career, we're seeing the safety of workers and the safety of citizens shift to the headlines. In fact, all day on the news. As we start our discussion today, can you help our listeners understand the role safety professionals play in bringing America safely back to work? Certainly. And it definitely has been one of those things where you look at it, it's like, ooh, everyone's talking about personal protective equipment. Everyone's talking about some of the things that are in the safety world we consider the hierarchy of controls. So it's exciting to hear politicians, public health officials, media, advertisers all talk about safety, which is great. And so as safety professionals, we, we really we play a couple of different roles as the economies in different states are reopening. So we are advisors to senior leaders as we take a look at what are those risks in bringing people back and what are those appropriate controls that we need to have in place? What are those controls that are going to be the most effective for our particular work environment and for our workers? We also are honest brokers and that it's not about the politics. I mean, we are dealing with a, both a pandemic and an economic crisis, and we have to be the people people can turn to to say, no, we don't have one stake in this one way or the other. We just want to be sure we're doing the right thing for the workers, for our businesses, and in ensuring a safe work environment. And I guess the third is that we're, we're really a bridge between the worker and the workplace. So the, both the workers and senior leaders have to see us as a trusted advisor as we're looking at what are those controls and helping the employees feel safe as they come back into the work environment. That term trusted advisor, and even at the top when you mentioned sort of who's talking about safety, politicians, the media, and I would even say average citizens today. As safety professionals, you know, they're counted on from what you've described to have the latest information. And that can be overwhelming. How do safety professionals gather and make recommendations? Yeah, you, you bring up a good point because things are changing on a regular basis. And many times we want to be sure we have all of the information before we make a decision. And unfortunately, in with what we're seeing with COVID-19, things are continuing to change on a regular basis. So 
as we're gathering information, it really is critical to be looking at the trusted resources, the Centers for Disease Control, the World Health Organization, as well as the state and local public health officials, because regardless of what else is going on, those are the sites to go to for the good information. And then ASSP also has a COVID-19 resource page where we've our members have been wonderful with sharing best practices and participating in webinars and providing resources to help not just our members, but anyone who's looking for good, credible information as they start to bring people back to work. Yeah. I'm curious, and I probably should have asked this before this question, but as a safety professional, who is the safety professional? Does everybody know who they are within an organization? Where does that function fall for responsibility, and how has that been tapped into during COVID-19? Have the roles of safety professionals changed? Well, so each organization has it set up a little differently. You'll see some organizations where safety will report to human resources. You'll see some where they report to operations. You'll see some where they report directly to the senior leadership team. So it might be the CEO or the CFO. So all of all of that varies. And how it's changed is I think there's really more and more of an understanding that particularly as we're, we're bringing people back to work, that it has to be a cross-functional decision. I mean, we have to be talking to HR. We have to be talking to operations. We have to be talking to the senior leaders so they fully understand the, the impact of the decisions that we're making today on not just the workforce, but on the overall operations going forward. So there's more and more understanding that, you know, we really need the safety professional to be part of these discussions. And we can't just be focusing on what what does compliance say we need to be doing here? Because this is really untapped territory. I mean, there are some things that are coming out, but, but for the most part, it's we need to be making the best decisions we can, taking a look at what are the risk assessments? What do our, what does our evaluation of the work site tell us are the risks that we're, we're dealing with? So we're looking at the risk, and then we're also looking at the controls that need to come into place but also looking at safety and health management systems and how we can really pull all of this together to have a, a very functional safety and health program and climate within our organizations. So again, as more people are talking about safety, it does rise to rise up within the organization and there's an increased opportunity for safety professionals to be at that decision-making table as part of that cross-functional team. It's interesting. So I've been the CEO almost two years now. And when I would share that I worked for you know, a safety organization, everyone's like, do you mean OSHA? Are you OSHA? And what yeah. you've described is so much more than just that. And you see it coming through in the role safety professionals are now playing in the pandemic and what it truly means to be opening back up. And from a safety professional perspective, as we begin to reopen, there's sort of traditional work environments. How has some of that shifted? Because the other thing that I see and hear in the news and on television, so in the mass media, is also the perspective of the individual worker. What has shifted about what they expect within their own work environment to make sure that they're kept safe as well? 
Yeah. So when, when we think about employees returning to work, we have to understand that many of people have not gone into their work environment in six weeks, maybe longer. And the importance of communication can't be stressed during this time. And it's communicating what are the plans to open back up the workforce? What are those things that we've done within the facility to ensure that it is safe physically for people to come back? But we also need to be aware that there may be anxieties about coming back. It's okay, I've been staying home with the kids and daycare centers aren't always open. So what are we going, how are we going to handle that? And really working with your workforce to help them, not just from the physical safety side, but also the the psychological safety side. So they feel safe coming back into the work environment. And so it's letting them know that, okay, we've, we've gone into the workplace and we've done intensive cleaning, we've done inspections, we've really looked at not just the physical environment and maybe shifting workstations and the different tasks so that people are more physically distant, but we've set up isolation rooms so that if someone is exhibiting symptoms, we're able to have them someplace away from everyone else until we can get them the care and they can get home. That we're looking at the HVAC systems and the mechanical systems, and we're changing filters and we're increasing airflow, and we're looking at the plumbing systems. You know, who would have thought we need to look at the plumbing systems because many of these haven't been used in in a while. We're looking at the different schedules that might be needed so we can better utilize physical distancing within the work environment. And so really sharing that information with the workers as well as, you know, what can you expect? You know, hey, we've set up the the east side. That's where we're going to have everyone come in and we're going to be doing temperature checks. And this is how we're going to be doing X, Y, and Z. Oh, and we're going to be having free meals in the cafeteria so you can go grab something, go back to work at your desk or wherever that may be. Just really to help the worker understand that within the workplace, we're addressing not just their physical safety, but helping them feel comfortable with the emotional aspects of coming back to work. The other may be, is there some training that we can provide to the worker before they come back? Just to remind them, hey, you know, these are a couple of the key safety items. You've been away from it for six weeks. So you've gotten kind of out of the habit. So we want to be sure they understand those pieces coming in and maybe for more physical work, are there some exercises, are there some stretches that we want people to do so it doesn't just come from a, I've been at home, I've been doing some things with the family and the kids, and now I'm back into a very physical work environment. And maybe they talk about the, the COVID-19-15. You know, it used to be the, the freshman 15, but you know, it's, it all depends on what you've been doing when you've, when you've been off work, but giving them some ways of helping prepare, not just for the mental, but the physical aspects of their job coming back in. Well, and I would imagine with some of the companies we've engaged with on this journey, they're also not coming back into the same environment too. So what we're asking of team members that are returning is shifting as well, right? So not just the physical distancing, but the washing of hands and the taking temperatures, wearing masks, every environment is different. I'm I'm curious, some of these solutions sound like large company solutions. 
understanding 80% of our employers are small and medium. Does any of the approach shift if it's a large company versus a small company? Well, there are a couple of ways to look at it. And with a smaller company, you're more likely to know the employees and be able to have a better relationship in terms of understanding what what is going on. But really, many of the things, whether you're a large employer or, or not, it's it's looking at those key things. It's like, what do we need to be doing to prepare the workforce? And then what do we need to be doing to prepare the worker? And the extent of that is going to depend on the size of the company and, and your operation. So, you know, one of the things that we talk about is really taking a look at those high touch areas. Well, for a small company, the high touch areas may just be the entrance doors or the doors to the bathroom. So we need to increase cleaning in those areas. Whereas for a larger company, you may have campuses and it's like, you know what, you stay in the one building that you're assigned to, or we need to be doing more and even more communication just because people are so widespread. But really it's those key things. It's looking at it for, for every organization, depending on how long has it been since people have been into the building? Because the last thing we want to do is, is we're bringing people back in. We've, A, increased their exposure because now they're working in, a, in an enc- more of an enclosed environment. Or we haven't addressed some of the things like we have air filters in our HVAC system and they haven't been changed for six weeks, two months what has accumulated on those because we haven't had the regular airflow we would have had? What is accumulated, for example, in the plumbing systems because we haven't been running the plumbing on a regular basis. So there have been some concerns, for example, of Legionnaire's disease becoming a possible risk to workers coming back to smaller places. So we, we really have to be taking a look forward and what can we expect, you know, looking at the credible literature, what are those things that we can reasonably expect to have in the workplace as people are coming back? And then what controls do we need to put in place based on the size of our company and what we do to protect the workers? So I realize, and I don't want to take you too far back, but we keep talking about the term controls, and I'm not sure all our listeners understand what the hierarchy of controls are beyond compliance. So maybe could you just for, you know, take a minute and describe what the hierarchy of controls actually is, and then how it gets applied. And then I'm going to shift us into some systems discussions, because we've talked about systems, but let's make sure everybody has definitions up front. Sure. Hierarchy of controls is something that, again, in in the safety world, industrial hygiene, the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health, we we, we talk about a hierarchy of controls. And really, it's taking a look at what are those controls that we can put in place that are most effective down to the least effective. So the most effective would be elimination. So in essence, as people have had their employees work from home, you can say that that's eliminating the employee's exposure, at least within the work environment. True elimination will be when we eventually get a vaccine. And it goes through engineering control. So when you go into, for example, your grocery store now, and they've put up the plexiglass barrier, that would be an example of an engineering control. So organizations have started putting the little foot pedal, if you will, on doors so that you don't have to touch the door handle, either going into the restroom or even going into the store. Uh, That would be an engineering control, like the automatic door openers. Those are 
engineering controls. And then you get into administrative controls. So those are things like we're scheduling workers separately or, or, or differently so that we're minimizing the number of people we have in the work environment at any one place. That, that would be an administrative control. Training is an administrative control. The cleaning schedules, that would be an administrative control. And then at the bottom of the hierarchy of controls is personal protective equipment. So when you look at the personal protective equipment, whether it's facial coverings or whether it's gloves, that, that's at the bottom because it's dependent on people wearing them properly and cleaning them properly and using them properly. So we go from most effective all the way down to least effective when we talk about controls. And for each organization, you have to look at what is effective. I mean, ideally, we want to be able to do something at the top of the level, but are there some interim things we can do that will provide a certain level of mitigation that we feel comfortable with at this point in time? So it gets to the continuum of impacts and where you have the ability to rely on action versus eliminate. And I, and I think that's really important, especially for small and medium manufacturers as they're thinking about businesses. If you can eliminate, eliminate. You don't start at the top with personal protective equipment and have that be the end game. There's a whole set of controls, administrative and engineering along that. So let me shift gears here a little bit because manufacturers are ultimately systems thinkers. And you mentioned the safety management system. There are plenty of systems approaches. How does systems thinking, I'll start at the big conceptual framework, how does systems thinking fit into organizational response for COVID-19 and its aftermath? And, and how does then from systems thinking to safety thinking fit together? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So when you think about management systems, for, for me, it's fundamental because so my, my degrees in chemistry and it, it's all about, okay, what do we expect to happen? And you test the hypothesis and then based on the results of the hypothesis, you make changes and you continue to do that. And, and safety management systems are, are fundamentally using that. It's looking at, okay, let's plan out. What do we expect those risks to be, for example, as people are coming back into the work environment? Do is the next one. So plan, do, check, act. Do is what are those controls we're going to put in place, for example? What are the ones that we think are going to be most effective? What are those ones that we can easily implement? That's the do part. And then the check is how well are those controls working? Are we getting the desired results that we need? And then act is making changes based on the results you see. So it's a, it's a, basically a continuous improvement cycle. And they've been using this in the quality world for, for a considerable amount of time. And it's really a, a fundamental process. It's just easy to, to think about. It's what do we expect to happen? Okay, what can we do to address that? Are we getting the results? And ultimately, do we need to make tweaks or changes or are there additional risks that we've seen? So when we think about safety management systems, certainly when it comes to the pandemic, you know, th this was something that wasn't on most of our radars. But using that process can help with whatever comes up, whether it's we get another wave of the pandemic or really using it as a way of looking forward. Okay, we're, we're back at work now. What can we expect next? But it really is, it's an ongoing conversation about what do we expect to happen? What can we do to prevent it? What can we do to mitigate it using those controls we talked about? Is it having the impact we want? And if not, what additional steps do we need to take? 
Well, I'm fairly confident in the systems thinking approach that's an anchor to our nation's manufacturers. And I think putting safety in that same approach, because to your point at the top, it's an incredibly interdisciplinary outcome. Everybody owns safety. We say that all the time. Everybody owns safety. And having the ability to have that interconnected. The other thing that I'm pretty confident is, as whatever decisions companies make today, a month, two months, three months, six months, are likely to shift. So having that flexibility, having the controls, and not just the planning and the doing, but the checking and the acting. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that, that sometimes it's, oh, great, we have our plan, and then it sits on a shelf. It's like, no, 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 no. It's, it's ever-evolving. And you mentioned that everyone owns safety. I remember doing some interviews with some high-level executives several years ago, and one of them just said, efficient production is safe production bottom line. I'm like, yeah, okay. That's fundamental to organizations being effective and being able to be sustainable and, and long lasting. So it's interesting you make that statement. I wrote a note here as we were going through and I underscored the term trust. I'd say that the, the elevation of safety and people being comfortable expressing concerns is heightened in the pandemic. What role does sort of trust in that social compact between employee and employer? How does that all fit in? And you used the term psychological safety earlier. What does trust mean as, as we all come out of this? Everyone's got a role, right? Yeah, it's an interesting discussion. I mean, trust is so fundamental to being effective, period. But in the in the safety role, it's it goes back to understanding the risks of the organization and the overall organizational operations. It's understanding what's important to the senior leader and what they're focused on, you know, the old what keeps them up at night. Because you do hear of people who have the title of safety manager and they will focus on hazards or risks in the workplace that yeah, it's there, but fundamentally, it's not going to be something that ends up impacting performance. I mean, so the, the risk is so important because it's not just identifying the hazard. It's really taking a step back and saying, okay, yes, we have this fall protection issue over here, but let's prioritize it. Because if we're trying to address every hazard in the workplace, we're not effective because there are hazards everywhere. So once we understand the organization's risk and what's important to our senior leaders, then they're going to trust that we're not just making recommendations because there's something that needs to be fixed. They're going to know that we're making the recommendations based on what's a priority to our organization and what's most important to get done right now. So for example, right now with COVID-19, obviously getting people back to work safely is really high on the list. And if we're focused on something way off. Yes, it could cause injury, but the likelihood is is very low. We, we lose our credibility within the organization. Likewise, if we're just telling employees, you have to wear this, you have to do this because OSHA says so, versus stepping back and let's talk about why this is important to you. The why is so important to safety. And sometimes we we miss that part. And again, we, we do ourselves and the, or, and the profession a disservice when we do that. So we really have to help the communication between senior leaders 
We need to be able to communicate up and we need to be able to communicate out. So when we're recommending something to our workers, they understand that we're not just, we're thinking about them. We're also thinking about their families and we're helping them understand if they do this, it's going to help their families as well. So that why is really important as we have that trust within our organizations. And I hear you also speaking to, and it's something we spend a lot of time talking about in our membership, our safety professional membership also speaks to this too. It's understanding the business of business and the heart of people. And that to me is, you know, I often hear safety professionals when they share their personal story, yours as well, safety finds you. And it can truly be a calling in that because you have the ability to keep people safe, send them home, send good practices back home, but also influence the performance of business up and down the line. So that's, and that's what I love about the jobs that we get to do every single day. Absolutely. So as we think about our business listeners and they aim to survive and thrive coming out of the pandemic, any good safety advice? For our business leaders? Well, you know, we, we were talking pretty extensively about the hierarchy of controls, and that is a big part. You know, as you're looking at coming back, what are those things we can do now, and what are those things we want to be doing long term to provide the, the safest work environment, both physically and psychologically? And by psychologically, we mean that people feel good about coming to work and they feel that there's a good culture there and they're able to be the most effective as possible. So it's really ensuring that worker safety is a top priority. And that includes looking at the cleaning schedules and again, the various hierarchy of controls we talked about earlier. The other part is making sure that the safety teams are very involved. We talk about the need for those cross-functional discussions. Those are going to be more and more important as we move forward to be able to survive the pandemic. And then having that safety and health management system. And I know some organizations say, you know, those are for larger companies. I don't have, I I can't do all of that. But even if you take a look at one of them, it can be a nice little framework for going through and saying, yes, we have this. No, we don't have this. And then saying, you know what, to have an impact or to continue to improve things, we're going to focus on this one area. And maybe right now the key is that employee engagement, especially as people are coming back. And we talked a little bit about the anxiety, but even once they're back to work, having those ongoing conversations with workers so you understand where they are. And and that is part of safety management system as well. Yeah. So one of the things that I think is shifted is can safety be taught virtually, especially as we're preparing people? And you've already talked about the administrative controls associated with preparing people for coming back as ASSP. We've had to shift our conference, our 5,000 plus, another 3,000 plus in exhibitors to virtual. How's that impacted the effectiveness of training in shifting safety 2020 to a virtual environment? What does that mean for the society for safety professionals? So when we talk about shifting to virtual, it is a big change for everyone, but it's kind of interesting. We've been looking at mega trends within within the board at ASSP over the last year or so, and one of those mega trends was a change in learning people wanting to learn in different ways. And so this is just kind of 
accelerating some of that. And it can work really well. I mean, how much you learn as a participant has as much to do with you as the participant as it does with, with the instruction. So with the, the shift to virtual for ASSP, you know, really the biggest difficulty was the uncertainty of when, when do we need to be able to make that decision? And then how do we, how do we do that seamlessly? But the beautiful thing is we've got a great team and we have a continuity of operations plan that enabled us to guide that decision for that annual conference. And we have many of the same sessions that we were going to have at Safety 2020 if we had had it in person. But we have some some top-notch speakers who are participating. What what I love about the event is as the president or even as a high-level volunteer within the organization, I would go to the conference and I'd get to as many sessions as I could. But many times that would just be the keynote sessions or the general sessions because you're pulled in so many different directions. So with Safety 2020 virtual, I'll actually be able to listen to all of them, which is great. But it's also shown the, the need for both, both staff and for our members and our speakers to be flexible and to be nimble. And they have really just done a yeoman's job of, of moving things forward and, and being responsive to, to the change. When it comes to virtual training in general, because I think your initial question was, can you teach safety virtual? I'm a student of adult learning, if you will, and so many times you see things that don't take into account the true principles of adult learning, which is how do we make it relevant? How do we tap into the knowledge of the people who were, were training? And how do we make it, in many cases, just in time? What do I need to know at this point in time? And, and too many times you get, you know, you talk about death by PowerPoint, or you get people who, well, I have an hour, so I'm going to take a full hour, even if you can cover the material in, in smaller segments. So as we're looking at bringing people back into the workplace, think about what are those key things we need to do and how do we make it relevant to the person at that point in time so that they will pay attention to it and it's more likely to stick and they will remember it as they're coming back into the workforce. And that can be done virtually as well as in person. It's just a shift in thinking, I think, for, for many trainers. Well, and I hear the theme of relevant and ready. That, to me, is another mindset shift that the advantage of Safety 2020 being virtual is the ability across 60 different sessions to learn what you need. You know, the balance of the hazardous, hazards, top 10 hazards in the workplace will not go away as we bring everyone back. But there's also a relevance and a readiness. And did just safety professionals attend Safety 2020? Who's Who attends and why should somebody consider joining? So anyone who has any responsibility for safety within their organization will get something out of Safety 2020 virtual. We don't just focus on safety. We have some great leadership topics. We have, I believe, two people who are who do TED Talks talking about resiliency. We have plenary sessions that focused on COVID-19. So we're really hitting on things that don't just impact the safety professional, but that impact the workforce in general. So anyone who whether you're looking to improve your leadership skills or your understanding of safety things or how we move things forward with the training, there's a, a wide variety of options just depending on, on what you need. And the beautiful thing with Safety 2020 Virtual is that you have access to the recordings for up to for 60 days after the event. So we 
talk a little bit about there may be people who have virtual paralysis at this point, you know, it's too many Zoom meetings, too many Microsoft team meetings, and, you know, <laughs> and, and, and it's a real thing. So with Safety 2020 Virtual, you're able to go in and you can watch the session live, but you can hit two or three in a day, and then you have the ability to watch the others over that that additional 60 days. And you can just go in and some people are, are hesitant to leave a session if it's face-to-face, if it, you know, this isn't exactly what I thought, but with Safety 2020 Virtual, you can go in and start watching something and you can easily say, nope, not for me. And don't have to worry about standing up and because you're sitting in the, the middle seat and crawling across everybody to leave the room. So, <laughs> yeah, I think the other advantage of the virtual format is going to be the ability for professionals to share with each other. And that to me, I have found that safety professionals as a community are givers, that if somebody has solved the problem, they don't want anybody else to waste time getting to an answer. So the, the amount of support that's out there is tremendous in networking with each other and being able to share real time tools and resources that can help somebody solve a problem. So that's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with it also being virtual, you don't have to worry about travel cost or uh, hotel stay. So Right. Many of us don't want to get on an airplane today. So No. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, as we, as we wind down today, the pandemic has clearly changed roles for everyone. From your perspective and as a leader in safety, as you have been throughout your career, what does this mean for companies, workers, and the safety professionals? Well, I mentioned earlier that uh, we've been looking at some of the mega trends, and the first one I mentioned was the shift in learning. But a couple of the others were increased automation and the changing workforce. And one of the things COVID-19 has done, it's truly accelerated the pace of that change. So there will be a new normal. It is important that we show our resiliency, and organizations as well as individuals will need to tap into that inner resiliency to be able to move forward because it, it's been a, a you know, I, I don't like unprecedented, but it has been an unprecedented time for, for most of us. And so for companies and workers and safety professionals, it really is going to be taking a look at how can we do things better? How can we do things more efficiently? And as I said earlier, efficient production is safe production. Within ASSP, we're going to be looking at what's going on. We're going to be making shifts so that we can continue to serve our members and advance worker safety wherever you happen to be. I mean, you look at the meetings and events that have been taking place virtually. Well, that's going to continue. As you mentioned, people don't want to get on a plane. And even as the economy opens back up, businesses aren't going to be allowing people to travel unless it's, you know, that is the only way they can get things done. But we're using technology a lot more. You know, online education opportunities certainly have been expanded that, that are out there. And and there's a lot of pandemic-specific information that's out there. Like I said, we've got a lot of resources at ASSP.org. We've got vid- videos, articles, webinars, checklists. There's a, a new matrix for returning people to work that you can take a look at. So a lot more sharing information than than really I, I've seen in in my time, not just within our membership because our memberships all our members always are happy to share, but with within other organizations as well. And so there's going to be more of that going on, but it's really taking a look at those those key things. How do we make sure we're looking at credible sources 
And how do we adapt to the next thing? Because it's not just getting through the pandemic. It's what are we going to be doing differently moving forward so that we're not just surviving, but we're, we're thriving as a business and as an organization. Wow, this has been great, Diana. I can't thank you enough for sharing your perspective, a wealth of insights and resources for our listeners. Um, if you're interested in learning more or accessing tools and support for your business, please visit our COVID-19 resource page at ASSP.org. And all of the resources that are up on the COVID-19 page are open and available for everyone. Diana, thank you so much for taking time to connect today. Thanks for having me, Jennifer. Thank you for joining the WAM podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.